0: Food for Thought on News Talk 760 WJR is presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state. Here's your host, Dr. Phil Knight.
1: Welcome, everyone. Thanks for listening. Have you ever been lost? I mean, really lost. I've gotten lost a lot in my travels, 128 countries out of 198 that are in the world. I invested 10 years of my life in East Africa. I've gotten so lost in the savannah bush in the plains of the Maasai in Kenya, or the Ngorogoro Crater in Tanzania, or in the waters of Lake Victoria in Uganda, or at least I think I was still in Uganda. You could have been Burundi for all I know. I've gotten lost a lot. I got lost once in the mountains of Colorado while on horseback. Hell, I even lost my horse for several hours. It's a very, very stressful experience. I was wondering if I was going to be on the evening news in about three days' time. Man lost in the mountains, horse returns riderless, film at 11. So yeah, I've been lost. I feel like some people we serve in the food banks across our state get lost too. They get lost from their government, from education, from opportunities, and sadly, they are lost from hope. The Food Bank Council of Michigan is determined no one who is lost from food is going to stay lost any longer. We are creating a map, a map that shows us where people who are trying to create food security in their own lives are living, and we want to come and find you. In fact, we will come and find you and we will bring with us the healthy nutritious food choices you want and need. But we will bring more with us than just food. Because attached to every item of food is hope, clarity, encouragement, inspiration, and determination. Our food comes packaged with opportunity and relief from the toxic stress of constantly fighting off hunger for you and your loved ones. It might just look like food to some folks, but for those of us who know, we know food comes with a compass. It will point you in the right direction, It will help you find your way, and no longer be lost in the wilderness of food insecurity. Our food comes with a map, a map to a place where food security exists and the quality of life is better. Dr. Stephen Borders from Grand Valley State University is on Food for Thought today and he is a mapping wizard. He is helping us create a map that will inform and help our decision-making as we serve the people of Michigan. Come back and be with Jerry Bresson and me as we welcome Dr. Steve Borders from Grand Valley State University.
0: Welcome back to Food for Thought, sponsored by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan.
1: Jerry Brisson and me, Dr. Phil Knight, and our guest today, Dr. Steve Borders, who is a professor at Grand Valley State University and one of our partners, Jerry in a project that we like to call Michigan
2: Mapped. And it's an awesome project. He was just at the Food Bank Council of Michigan board meeting, and we got a chance to really see this thing close up, and I have to say we all walked out of there pretty excited. So, Steve, welcome to Food for Thought. You've been on the show
1: before, but uh, we had to have you back because the work you're doing with us is going to have such great impact, and I uh, just want to say welcome.
3: Well, thanks. Thanks for having me.
1: So let's dive in here, and Michigan mapped is what we call a, uh, a well,
3: don't let me explain it.
1: You're the professor. You explain it.
3: <laughs> so, well, you know, again, we've, to kind of reiterate what we've been working on was that, you know, again, a lot of the food estimates are have been generated, or food insecurity estimates, I'm sorry, have been estimated at, at the county level. And I think that, you know, again, for anybody who's interested in solving food insecurity at a localized level, we need to think in localized terms. So that's what the the mapping project is about, is, is sort of looking at those localized levels uh, and thinking about, you know, what are the particular communities within Michigan that are likely to suffer from high food insecurity. And so those are the ones that we're looking at trying to figure out what those needs are and how to address those.
2: And I think the thing that, that came most clear from your presentation was if we have the ability today to understand where the people are who are most likely food insecure, it gives us a picture of when we make systematic changes, did those households benefit? Because you'll be able to see the the indicators of food insecurity change in those communities. If I got that right?
3: Absolutely, Jerry. I think you're you're exactly right. That's that's exactly, you know, well put in, in what we're trying to do.
2: So so I think the the what our listeners need to understand is why is it important if you're trying to solve a problem to have that picture?
3: Yeah, and that's a great question. And I think you know anybody who's Going out and and undertaking the kind of work that that the the food banks in Michigan are doing and and those local agencies, the churches and nonprofits that are doing it, is really to kind of understand, you know, what is the level of food insecurity, um, and and if we know what that level is, sort of the pre as, as you know where we are, sort of measuring things today, what are the interventions that work? What are the things that are working? So where did it work? Where did it work well? What are the things that, that actually did work? So we're kind of doing this pre- and then post-measurement in, in that respect and thinking about how do we move the needle uh, in, in helping solve this problem of hunger in Michigan. So
2: tell us, what are the things we're looking at specifically to get this pre- and post-measurement?
3: Well, a lot of things will be, you know, and, and that's another great question, a lot of things are are difficult to measure because we're looking at indicators of food insecurity, too. So one of the things that I think is great about the work that we're doing is that a lot of this data is publicly available, but we're also enhancing it with localized uh, data. For example, uh, for Feeding America West Michigan, you know, we're actually looking at the distribution of the local nonprofits and church pantries. here and we've been able to look at those on the map to kind of understand where those uh, agencies are, are actually delivering assistance to people in need. So, so by looking at things like poverty, looking at things like um, people who spend you know uh, 30% or more of their income on housing, so all sort of indicators of economic stress, unemployment, um, we're we're looking at, at those things and thinking about. You know, those, those are things that contribute to food insecurity. So how do we sort of drive those down and look at where we're distributing uh, food within the state uh, and making sure that, that we're on top of those communities that have the greatest needs?
2: I think, too, there can be some surprising learnings that come from this. Like, for example, I'm convinced that for a number of people, if you take hunger off the table, they will fix the rest of the things they have to fix themselves. And by having the kind of mapping that you're helping us put together, looking at these indicators of poverty, I think we are going to learn that, well, it didn't help everyone everywhere. But for certain people, we took hunger off the table by applying a food solution, right, in their area. And look at, they in fact did become employed. They in fact did do better in some of these other indicators. And and it may take time and it may take uh, multiple... Uh, iterations, if you will, of mapping to to really understand that well. But we don't think we could ever understand it without this kind of a tool.
3: Yeah, and and that's a that's a great point. And and you know, and again, you think about that. This food insecurity idea is much bigger than just food itself. You're exactly right. It's unemployment. It's it's all those things that we talked about just a moment ago. It's it's all of those little stressors that add up into sort of bigger problems. So. If we can start relieving those things at the margins, I think you're right. So we're, we're hoping that we'll have some serendipitous outcomes and that you know good things will start to happen if people don't have to worry uh, about where their next meal is coming from.
1: He's Dr. Steve Borders. He is a professor in the School of Public and Nonprofit and Health Administration at Grand Valley State University, and he's also a board member for Feeding America West Michigan. And, Steve, I've got to talk to you just a minute about the down-to-earth, three-foot-level application of this mapping project. So historically, um, 40 years ago, when food banking started across America, um, and that's a real surprise to people that they don't understand that food banking's only been around for one generation, that we have historically distributed food based on the capacity of the volunteer pantries who are partnering with us. So if it's a, a pantry in the basement of a church, and we're thankful for their work, but their limited hours possibly of being open or their limited capacity of being able uh, to uh, store the food or the types of food um, might not be able to meet the need in that community regarding food insecurity. But with this data mapping project, I think it's going to help our food banks be able to make real-time decisions, based on data, from the mapping project in regard to the allocation of resources, not only where, but how much. And I'd like to get your reaction to that on how you envision the mapping project being able to inform resource decisions at that three-foot level.
3: Yeah, and, and again, that's exactly, you know, what we think is the really the most exciting part about what we're trying to do here is, is you know, by putting the mapping in the hands of those local decision makers. And, and so, and again, I know over the radio it's kind of hard to think about some of these things, but all of this is in the cloud, so to speak, right? And it's, it's available online, the type of work that we're doing. And so what we want to be able to do is allow those local church pantries that you're talking about, the local food banks, to be able to make their own decisions about that. So if we put things out there, all of these indicators, and help them understand where their resources are, what the needs are in their community, that they're probably better equipped to make those decisions than anybody uh, at a state level or something uh, you know, along those uh, that order of magnitude. So so we want to be able to drive those decisions to to the local decision makers and help them Really decide about where those appropriate interventions uh, should should occur, and 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 how they should occur at those localized levels.
1: Well, I I think one of the things that I'm excited about is that I think a lot of nonprofits are moving toward using data to prove the return on investment. So if someone makes a donation or they partner with a, a nonprofit, what's the ROI? But I'm, I'm not concerned about that because I think that our ROI in, in the food banking world is is so fantastic. It's not even an argument about that. What I'm excited about is that we're a nonprofit that is using data to drive decisions about how are our resources going to be allocated? Are they going to be allocated in the right places to the right people where the most need is? And how are we going to get the biggest impact from that? And so I'm really excited about that. And I want us to continue this conversation. We're going to come up on a a break here in just a minute. Uh, And I want to remind everybody that Dr. Steve Borders is with us. He's a professor at the School of Public and Nonprofit and Health Administration at Grand Valley State University, and uh, Jerry Brisson is here with us. We're going to continue this conversation in just a few moments with Dr. Borders as we're talking about a project that has been uh, financed or uh, supported by the Michigan Health Endowment Fund, and uh, and it's called Michigan MAP, and it's a very exciting project for us as uh, we see this this project really driving decisions about how can we serve the best and the most with the most impact possible. Come back and be with us here on Food for Thought. We'll be right back in just a moment.
0: It's Food for Thought
1: with Dr. Phil Knight on WJR. We're back with Dr. Steve Borders here on Food for Thought. And uh, Jerry, I can see you uh, once again chomping at the bit, ready to get your question to Dr. Borders.
2: Well, you know, the, the project has evolved, right? Since we first started talking about it, it's gotten better and better and better. We get greater clarity about the kinds of things we can learn by mapping to the community level and really as close as we can get to impact even at the household level. So, And I know we got some some new stuff on the dashboard. So, uh, Dr. Borders, if you could just talk a little bit about how this project has evolved and the kinds of things we can actually look at.
3: Yeah, and so we're really trying to, you know, as we were mentioning the earlier, segment talking about driving the decisions to the localized level and so we really want to put this information in the hands of the local user and so you know, one of the things too that we've been developing and experimenting with is not only the maps but also uh, a dashboard and it's an interactive dashboard and so uh, the user can go in and click on a particular community and, 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 and instantaneously pull up all of the indicators uh, food insecurity, and so we have about 18 indicators uh, of food insecurity that, that we're using. So, you know, you can look and sort of tell, you know, sort of what are the problems that are facing that community. Again, maybe it's, you know, it's a housing problem, it's an education, an unemployment problem, but there's also communities that suffer from different things, you know, uh, such as... Uh, you know, a high number of single female-headed households also a, a strong predictor of food insecurity. Or maybe they suffer from language barriers, then, um, you know, they, they don't uh, speak English very well. So all of those things can kind of help us think about, you know, what are the particular needs of, of each individual community? And I think, you know, that is is really very exciting. Uh, and we also think, too, that those things will be able to help us talk to those out in the community to help them better understand the the needs of of each community as, uh, as we're thinking about the individual uh, needs within with each uh, each area of the state,
2: and I think as we see the indicators move up, down, you know, as things in and out of our control impact the people we serve, we can get to the answers to the question: Who is food insecure? How much help do they need, and for how long? And again, those are those have eluded us because we haven't had the information to show us if if what we're doing is actually moving the needle for them.
3: Yeah, and exactly. And again, great, great question. Um, you know, so when when we look at these, we think that you know there are some communities, and, and you know most counties have those you know, where the the needs are pervasive and ongoing. So where you have low educational attainment, high poverty. And those things are kind of endemic, and we think about um, the the strategies of serving communities like that are ongoing. And and but then there are others that are more transitory in nature, um, and, and you know especially as the economy recovers, you know we sort of think about. You know, people who may have been unemployed or underemployed a few years ago are now moving into the workforce, Um, but new strains are popping up, you know, as as housing becomes more expensive uh, and inflation rises in particular areas, um, but maybe not in sort of the traditional types of things, you know, especially as we think about, um, you know, Michigan and, and, you know, such as in Grand Rapids, you know, housing. Uh, there 's a real affordability uh, issue in, in housing here as as the community is becoming um, you know so desirable and, and people are bidding up uh, housing here so so those are those are great points and and again that 's what we 're trying to do with our analysis is allow you know, again those local users sort of think about what are the particular needs within the community and how best to uh, address those.
2: And I think one of the indicators of whether or not a problem can be solved is whether or not you can predict it coming, right? So a lot of what we've done in this work is react we Something mm-hmm. happens and we react to it. And so, again, I think if we're going to actually stand on the ground of this is a problem that can be solved, I think we have to have the ability to predict when this happens in the economy or when this happens in housing or when this happens in SNAP utilization or right. when this happens in a government program, we can tell you what is going to happen in the community as a result of that. And that's why... Uh, or one of the key reasons, for me anyway, why this data is so important. It gives us incredible uh, abilities, not just to look, backwards or to react to what's happening now. But when people say, hey, if SNAP has cut 30%, what's going to happen in your community? And instead of telling a story about, you know, one person, we can say, well, here's the communities as we see them today. Here's what happened the last time it was cut. Here's who was really affected in our community. So then we can say, likely, this is what's going to happen if that policy decision is made.
3: Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, and, you know, again, this you know, sort of good timing on the on the idea here and thinking about, well, you know, the Senate is taking up the health care reform bill. What if they, you know, what if we really scale back the Medicaid expansion here in, in Michigan? You know, that helped a lot of people. So what if they lose the ability to, to you know, some that had gained access to the health care system? So what if they're now, you know, paying more for prescriptions or, or get less care or have no care at all? those are those are great questions that that I think um you know we don't know the answer to but but we're in a better position to monitor those things just as you mentioned so what happens going forward because we you know, we we know that, that that we've taken the burden off of people by providing those with the uh, with Medicaid who didn't actually have it before or health insurance who didn't actually have it but what happens if they start to lose those things those are those are those are great questions that need to be monitored uh, and and understood. So I think, Steve, that I one of the
1: applications here that we really haven't talked about here is uh, how Michigan mapped will affect advocacy, both on the state level and at the federal level. So my point being is we're. Michigan Mapped is one of three data projects that the Food Bank Council of Michigan is giving life to for our network of seven food banks. The other one is the self-sufficiency study that our listeners will be reminded that Dr. Diana Pierce from the University of Washington by way of the University of Michigan has helped us create, and that study will be released coming this fall. And that's simply talking about how what does it take for a family Uh, and all across the Michigan, different family types, 719, what does it take for them to be self-sufficient? The point being, there will be some people politically who will grab that information and say, see, this is what a minimum wage should be for someone. And they'll use it for their own political purposes. Here, we're also looking at Michigan MAP. That could be grabbed and used for someone's political agenda. My point is, at least we have the data. That is what should drive policy decisions, not someone's agenda, left or right. But at least we're going to be able to make policy, or we should be able to make policy decisions based on information, rock-solid data. And I'd like for you to talk to us a little bit about how you would envision some of those policy decisions being or what types of policies that would be affected by the data that you're creating for us.
3: Yeah, and and again, great great point. I think that a lot of the 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 data it really speaks for itself. Um and we got a in our our board meeting that Jerry spoke of earlier, you know, we had a great comment from Forgotten Harvest and so they asked, "Well, what, what could you measure the change in poverty on uh, some of these indicators from, you know, several years ago to today?" And I think what's really striking is that, you know, again, as we think about you know, the, the, you know, sort of the, the lows that we were in, um, you know, in around 2008, 2009, and the depths of the recession, and, and where we've come out, even if we look at things like poverty, there are still between, over the last 10 years, there are, there are over 300 communities in Michigan that have actually had a statistical uh, increase in the, in the proportion of those suffering from poverty. So, so the economy, wow. right, is, and, and I think you know, if you asked anybody, it's, the, it's, it's uneven, right? And that things are going up for some, but, but not for others. And, and, again, we've looked at things like median income, and, and we see all of those things sort of happening across the state. Is that, you know, while unemployment dropping, it doesn't necessarily mean that people's incomes are up, and it doesn't necessarily mean that poverty is down, um, and, and in fact, many places are are worse off over the over the last 10 years than than where they were, and and those are very striking. So so the needs uh, sort of continue. So you have to look at those at localized levels and and think about those important questions because the economic recovery has been so uneven and I don't think that there's many people that would argue with us uh, uh, on on those points
1: let's let, uh, let's hold that thought Steve and I'm going to get you to come back because I have a question about that that I think a lot of the people in the general public have the same question and that is about unemployment is is uh, is is up or down which is better it's <laughs> and uh, better. yeah it's we're down. just in our network we're distributing more food than we ever have before come back and be with us dr. Borders Jerry Basson here on WJR and Food for Thought.
0: You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight, brought to you by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan.
1: Steve We closed that last uh, segment out in a bit of a rush, and I want us to stop and pause and unpack this just a little bit more, and that is the connectivity between uh, employment and food insecurity. We've said on the show before that President Reagan in the early 80s said the best social program is a job, And, and Jerry has said on several occasions that when he first started in this work... The only screening tool they did for anyone was to find out if they were employed or not, because if they were employed, they were food secure. But that is a disconnect in this day and age from 1982 until 2017. The connection between employment and uh, food
2: security is a disconnect. In fact, Jerry, you have a statistic about that. Yeah, 47% of the people we serve are employed. It was unthinkable that that number of people who are employed would need food help. And now it's regular and it continues to grow. And so I think, uh, uh, Dr. Borders, what, what you just talked about uh, in terms of the data showing that even though unemployment is better, there are communities that are actually deeper in poverty than before uh, the recession. I, I mean, that's the kind of thing you don't know if you don't have the data to prove it. And so, how, you know, there's lots of implications to, to being able to know those kinds of things in terms of decision making. So what are your thoughts about that?
3: Yeah, and, uh, you know, to be honest, that was one of the most shocking things to me. And, and, and it, you know, when you get the results, you you really kind of it because you think, wow, you know it's been ten years, and and how are things not better than they were? You know you think about how rotten things were here in this state uh, in in two thousand eight and two thousand nine, and and to think that that poverty has gotten worse in in many areas it, it's it's really striking to me uh and i think that that's a story that that needs to be told because anybody you know, who, who if you've if you think about the new economy right and that that and you've probably if you, you know, if you read the paper you 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 know, think about you know listen to the radio and and news shows and things you know they, that, that they talked a lot about the mismatch between skills for the new economy and the old economy, as and, you know, and especially in an industrial state like Michigan, as you know, sort of those jobs had had gone to, you know, overseas to China and things like that. Those were those good unionized jobs. What are the jobs that have taken their place? I think are a lot of the service sector jobs, at least on the low end. Uh, you know, when we're thinking about those types of things, and and just as you mentioned, Jerry, right, that forty-seven percent of those who who are seeking food are employed. Uh, and, and this dovetails well into the, the work, um, you know, sort of the, the living wage work that, that's also coming out of this grant, is that you know, it's more than than just a job, but it's you know, how much does someone really need to become self-sufficient? And, and those are those great questions, the important questions that I think we're, we're trying to answer so that people can be self-sufficient sufficient so that it's more than just having a job today because as we think about all the things that have been offloaded onto the individual you know again right the the pension is largely gone for many people you've got to now save for your retirement so a lot of the, the the safety net things are gone more people are being asked to contribute more to their health insurance these things eat away at someone's disposable income and the end result is food insecurity, among other things.
2: And many of those uh, changes are impacted by policy and by decision-makers who, without the right information, aren't going to put the right tools in the toolkit so that people can be independent, so that people can do everything they can for themselves. And I think that's part of where we want to head in all of these discussions, is to say, what are the tools we need in our toolkit to accomplish the objectives for the community that we all want we're convinced that this is not partisan ultimately we all want kids to be fed and seniors to be fed we want people to be successful we just got to understand what tools we need in the toolkit better and of course data mapping is a key part of that understanding
3: exactly and i think that's exactly where we want to be um you know and again you know i discover new things every time we look at a new data set uh, when we think about it, you know, one of the things, again, another great question uh, that we had from, um, uh, from I, I can't remember the name of the food bank in Washtenaw County where Ann Arbor is, um, but they had asked, well, what about, you know, where are, the, where are the kids that are receiving free and reduced lunch? So we just mapped that. You know, that's really interesting to look at the schools, you know, and so it's a great proxy, again, to sort of think about, you know, children who are low income that are receiving, you know, assistance through free and reduced lunch and of course you know many of those now that it's summertime they're closed where are those children uh you know getting breakfast and lunch today those are those are again sort of important questions uh to to think about for those engaged uh in in helping those people yeah i think steve that
1: just uh tie the bow on that question from food gatherers in Ann Arbor uh, about uh, free and reduced and uh, summer feeding programs and everything. Uh, We're working very intimately with the Michigan Department of Education and Diane Golinski, who's uh, leading those nutrition programs. In fact, I was just at a learning lab with her in Virginia the other week. I spoke for her just recently at their nutrition conference, and they are very interested in partnering with us in this data project to furnish that data to us uh, for our map uh, that where are those children at and then how a a further question to that is uh, we know that in the summer feeding program we're reaching 17 percent of those kids who are eligible for free and reduced breakfast and lunch and while we celebrate 17 percent that's not enough that's not effective enough we got to find better and more unique ways to reach those those children. I think probably from a data standpoint, again, just to tie a bow up on this conversation, uh, from a donor and a data standpoint is people look at us and our work and they appreciate it. um, And they, they, but they have questions that, that are maybe seemingly just surface questions, but that doesn't mean they're not valid questions. And that is uh, the economy is better uh, employment is better, and yet we're delivering more food uh, in our network than we ever have before. And why is that? So, you know, the question is about fatigue. And I think the answer to that is data. So when people understand the data, they they see the data, they can understand the data. Now their perceptions are able to change. So it's education and inspiration. And when Jerry says that statistic, about 47% of the people they're delivering food to are at work— That changes the perception of who's hungry in Michigan completely from both sides of the aisle, no matter where anyone's coming from. Oh, wait, 47 percent of the people who are getting food from the food bank system are out working and supporting themselves and doing the best that they can. And I think that your point of when some of these jobs left, what jobs replaced them? what type of jobs what's the quality of those jobs and it's not just about numbers it's also you got to ask the second and the third questions about that
3: yeah absolutely and again we haven't i haven't personally delved into exactly the type of employment but when we look at those sort of big changes in 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 those indicators you know again median income and, and adjusted for you know real dollars um you know from from 5 and 10 years ago you know again is down in in more communities than up in Michigan poverty is is increasing in more communities than it is abating you know those to me are are troubling trends and and again you know things that people don't see every day but um it, 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 those are unless you live in those communities, you probably don't don't see or understand those uh, things as well. And it's interesting; it's it's not necessarily in all of the low income areas. It's it's interdispersed throughout the state. There's rural communities that have suffered decreases uh, in in real income and where poverty's gone up as much as some of the inner city communities. Uh, and even in some of the higher income communities, and and you know, to me, it was very evident in looking, you know, in Detroit, where I'm, you know, where I, I'm again imagining where probably some of those executives for Ford, GM, Chrysler, you know, were prior to the, you know, to the to the meltdown, uh, and and perhaps some of those you know people lost their lost their jobs and moved out. You know, so even in areas like Grosse Pointe, a uh, you know, very affluent place in Detroit, real income is down in some of those communities over there.
1: I think one of the things that was striking about the presentation you did for the board of directors it was that you could basically find food insecurity in any community in Michigan. No matter how affluent, you could still exactly. find people who were struggling with food insecurity
3: and 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 again great great point that's exactly what i think the the research shows is that that it is it's everywhere it's pervasive it's in and and acute in some areas uh and and that there really are few communities if if none where where there aren't people who suffer from food insecurity
1: well steve borders professor at grand valley state university and a partner with us in this great mission to create food security all across the state is leading us through a project called michigan mapped that's been financed by the michigan health endowment fund grant and steve we can't thank you enough for your partnership and also for your passion to help us solve this problem
3: well thanks for having me i'm 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 really enjoying working on it and 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 hope uh everyone else will will find as much utility in it as, as we do. I think we
1: will. It's uh, Dr. Steve Borders from Grand Valley State University. And Steve, thanks for being with us here on Food for Thought. Come back and be with us. Jerry and I are going to wrap up this show here on WJR, Food for Thought. Thanks so much, Steve. We'll be back in just a moment.
0: It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight.
1: So here's some Food for Thought. I just took possession of a vehicle, and I'm thrilled with it. The Bluetooth interface with my iPhone is really amazing and fun. I downloaded the OnStar app, and I can lock, unlock, start the vehicle from just from my phone. I really like it. Another feature involves directions and the map. And again, I use this app a lot, and it sends the destination and route to the vehicle. It gives me turn-by-turn direction. The soft voice offers me updates regarding my progress and lets the people know at my destination when I'm going to arrive. Ah, what would life and leadership be like if it were like this app in my vehicle? Turn-by-turn directions and a calm voice gently telling us we've made a wrong turn or a miscalculation. A compass that that offers a quick alternative route in order to get us back on course. A clock that pings and gives us indication of our progress or lack thereof and gives us a good idea of when we will arrive. Life, like most of the trips we take, are not like this. They are uglier, messier, filled with traffic, texting drivers, whiny kids, and adults, and all sorts of dangers for accidents, mishaps, detours, and wrong turns. People who are food insecure are all looking for a way out. I want to help them find that way out, to get out and to stay out and never have to pass through the tollways that lead to the wasteland of food insecurity again. Find out how you can help us Help them by visiting us on the web at fdcmich.org. And if you like what you hear on Food for Thought, then you can follow me on Twitter at DrPhil14. Thanks for listening, and be sure to share our podcast with your friends. We'll be back next week.
0: Food for Thought has been a presentation of Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state.